0: Hey everybody, Uh, it's Jesse Humphrey here. Welcome to After The Gig. Today on the show I have the great Anthony D'Amato. He's a singer-songwriter, solo act, but also plays in the band Fantastic Cat, which is an incredible band. They have an album out called The Very Best of Fantastic Cat. It's their first album, their debut album, and they have the balls to call it that, and it's really, really great. Um, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, if you would like to email into the podcast, email in after the gig pod at gmail.com. But first, before we get to the episode, Carbon Leaf has some tour dates. It's the Carbon Leaf US World Tour 2023, and we'll be in St. Louis, Dallas, Austin, Phoenix, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Seattle, Spokane. Spokane, Spokane, Bosman, uh, Bozeman, Bozeman or Bosman, Montana. Uh, I haven't been there in a while and I don't think, uh, Carbon Leafs ever played there. So that'll be cool. Um, Boise, Salt Lake City, Utah, Denver, Colorado, Kansas City, Omaha, Des Moines, Minneapolis, which I used to call Minneapolis, which doesn't make any sense. Madison, Chicago, Cleveland, Ann Arbor, Indianapolis, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Burlington, Vermont, on my birthday, Portland, Maine, Derry, New Hampshire, New York, New York. There will be more dates added to the end of that. Um, they're going to be very similar to the ones that are added later in the year, every year at the end of the year. So if you don't see your city there, you might see it at another time. Anyway, much to talk about. Um, I'll get into this in a later episode. Maybe next episode, we really need to talk about the um, the legal decision that was made in the Ed Sheeran case. It's a big deal for music. I'm so happy that he uh, was was found innocent, or or that it was kind of thrown out, or whatever. He was found not liable, or whatever they call it. But. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about that, and I'll be sharing them on Patreon and in a later episode. So without further ado, let's get right into it with Anthony D'Amato right now.
1: I grew up in a town called uh, Blairstown, New Jersey, which is kind of middle of nowhere. It's uh, Delaware Water Gap area, northwest corner of the state, out in the woods. Um, not not a lot going on. <laughs> yeah.
0: So was music like like when did you pick up the guitar? It was it kind of like a in a
1: hometown thing, or what did it not happen till later? I, I started on the piano first, probably when I was like five or six years old. I think I started piano lessons before I started school. Okay. And uh, so I did that for a while at first. Uh, you know, I think I got my first guitar when I was probably like 10 or 12 years old or something. And, and it was an electric guitar. And I, you know, took some lessons with that. And I don't think it really clicked with me so much because, you know, there weren't really a lot of other people to play with. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't in a band or anything. And solo electric guitar, I was like, why doesn't this sound like you know, the songs I want to sound, you know, I don't sound like Bob Dylan or whatever, you know. And even if you're playing yeah. it, you know, I grew up on Bruce Springsteen. And even if you're playing a Bruce Springsteen song, on the electric guitar, if you're playing it by yourself, it doesn't really sound like all that much. So right. I kind of drifted away from it for a little bit. And then in high school, I, I got more back into it. And uh, and that was when I started, you know, playing. I got my first acoustic and, and started, uh, you know, writing songs. and And that was where things really kind of took off for me.
0: Okay, cool. Were your parents musical?
1: No, they they don't play anything. They just loved music. They would take me to concerts all the time when I was a kid. And when I got really into music, they were excited about that and would take me to, you know, shows that I wanted to see or take me to see shows they thought I should see. Um, And my grandfather was a church organist. So, you know, he was a really good sight reader. And, you know. I would hear him playing classical and church music around my grandparents' house and stuff, but nobody in, in my direct family in my house was, you know, a musician.
0: But they were, like, supportive and-, and Yeah. Said, they were- like, They Keep it, keep it yeah. down,
1: Anthony. No, no. If anything, it was like, shouldn't you be practicing more?
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get involved in, like, like high school choir or, like, any kind of structured thing like that
1: yeah i was in the um i was in the like wind symphony in in yeah uh, yeah, yeah. in school so i played french horn uh from like fourth grade until i finished high school um did you ever stick with uh, that do you ever pull out the horn every now and then i i i wish that i had i think it's still at my my parents house in new jersey i feel like uh we're doing some recordings now that it could actually be useful, so I need to see if I can uh, still make any sounds with that.
0: Yeah, I played I played trumpet growing up. Like it was actually like one of the first, you know, elementary school. You know, I was playing drums and stuff, but you had to pick a re a real instrument. <laughs> you know, So yeah. I picked uh, I picked the trumpet, and I was like, every now and then I'll I'll still pull it out of the box, and it's like a an awful student model trumpet, but it's really fun to play and like really hurt your lips after like. Yeah, Two two minutes and just like destroy your armature or whatever.
1: It's really fun I though. feel like I chose French horn because nobody else played it. Okay, yeah. And I, it was like, oh, it's just a weird looking instrument to begin with. Uh, and it's got a cool sound. But I was also just like, well, you know, I guess I'm first chair.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always found French horn pretty interesting because you're right. Like nobody, now that I'm thinking of it, I don't think anybody played it. I think it was mostly yeah. just trombone or trumpet or, you know, the tuba was popular yeah. in, in our high school and everything. But yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, now when were you like, when did you get serious about writing? song? when did you know you wanted to like write actual songs and since there was like no one to play with or, um, like you said, yeah. when, when Probably. did you start kind of wanting to play with people or did you play with people at some
1: point? Yeah. Pro- in high school, you know, I started okay. writing songs and, and I did find a few other kids at the school who were, you know, if not interested in the exact same kind of music, I was interested, at least interested in, in making music that fell broadly under the, uh, rock umbrella. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think in terms of listening, you know, a, a lot of kids, it's, that in high school, uh as as is the case probably at, at every high school. It's it was mostly pop and hip hop and that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, but I was into Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and Bruce Springsteen and, and stuff like that, Neil Young. And um, you know, so I found some other kids who were, you know, at the very least interested in in Radiohead or, or you know, Dave Matthews or whatever it was that they were yeah. listening to. I was like, you know, at least that's that's in the ballpark. So, you know, we made a We, we made a a short lived band in high school to, to start just, you know, playing in front of people. Um, but you know, I, I knew at that point that this was something I would like to be doing, you know, with, with my life, uh, Mm -hmm. even if it didn't seem like a very practical or realistic goal at the time.
0: Yeah. Were you, uh, did you, did you go to college? You went to college, right?
1: I did. Yeah. And you know, uh, I think even, even through college, that college is when I started playing as a solo artist where I started making trips into New York and, and, you know, Philly and wherever and playing my own shows under my own name. And even then it was still like, I, I really love this and this would be a great thing to do, but this probably isn't, uh, you know, a way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, at the same time I was doing that, I was also working as a, uh, freelance music journalist so i starting in high school i started writing for local new jersey publications and stuff and by the time i was in college i was doing stuff for uh rolling stones website and spins website and paste and you know all that kind of stuff and you know that to me uh was like okay at least this is like you know journalist that's like a that's a good job you know yeah uh maybe that's maybe that's where i'll go and and then when the summers started rolling around in college and it was like, okay, I need a, I need a summer job and an internship or something like that so I can make some money. You know, all those magazines that I was writing for, they're like, yeah, great. You know, come to New York. We have an unpaid summer internship. And I was like, I, you know, I can't live in New York without right. getting paid. Yeah. Uh, but one of the PR firms that I used to deal with a lot was like, well, we have a paid internship if you want to do that. So, that's how I became a publicist. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> So I started interning in the PR world, and uh, and when I graduated, uh, I went to go work for that company full-time for about uh, four years and doing press for, you know, I worked on a lot of indie projects like Bonnie Bear and St. Vincent and Grizzly Bear and, and that kind of stuff, and just learned so much about how the industry works and who does what and, you know, what an example of a good manager is and what an example of a bad press campaign is and all that kind of stuff. Um, and meanwhile, you know, I was playing my shows and I'd save up my vacation days to go do a 10 day run of shows in Europe or something and come back. And, uh, eventually it all kind of came together when I got offered a record deal by this label called new West. And so I basically left my job on a Friday and on a Monday they started working press for my album. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Can you give me like a
0: layman's rundown of of what it was like to get into the PR world in New York at that time? Yeah. Well, like like as, um, a new, as a new, like how old were you?
1: Uh, so I started interning there probably when I was, uh, I guess 19. Okay, uh, so like second year of so
0: college I, or third
1: year of college? Yeah, for, I think my freshman year I started interning there. So yeah, the summer of my freshman year. So I totally. interned there for three summers. So i have been 19, 20, 21. And then I started working there full time from, 22 to three to four, 20, 22 to, to 25. And, yeah. uh, um you know, it was, uh like I said, I I learned so much. It was a total crash course. And and when I graduated college, you know, I, I think my family was kind of wanting to see me go on and get some kind of a, a graduate degree. And, and I looked into it and, and I even, I applied to NYU, had a music business graduate program right. that I uh, applied to and, and I got into. And I, called up uh, Marilyn Laverty, who was the head of Shorefire, uh, which is uh, the company where I had been interning and would go on to work. And she had been, you know, uh, Springsteen's publicist for, you know, most of his career and, and had worked with, you know, every incredible artist. She had been head of PR at Columbia Records, I think, for a while. And So anyway, I called her up just to get her take on on a program like that. And she was basically like, I'm paraphrasing here, but she was like, you could go there, spend a bunch of money. Learn what they have to tell you for two years, come out, we'll hire you, unteach you all the bad stuff they taught you, show you how it really works, or you could just come start working here now and we'll pay you and we'll teach you everything about how it really works. And I was like, okay, that's a compelling case. It's a pretty good Uh, sell. (laughs) Yeah. So I went and started working for her at, at this company, and you know, it was it was a definite crash course in uh the reality of the music business in in ways both good and bad you know of uh of seeing you know there, there's nothing more satisfying than you know working a record for an album or a working an album for an artist that you love and believe more people need to hear and mm-hmm. getting them you know a breakout feature on NPR, you know, like doing something that like moves their career up to the next level or, or working with an artist across several albums and, and being able to be part of that growth and, and, you know, go with them from, you know, the very beginning on their first album to like, you know, now they're on Saturday Night Live or whatever, you know, like, wow, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff is, is a really exciting and you're like it, the system works in some ways, like good stuff finds an audience. Um but then it, you know, you also you also get to see the sausage get made sometimes of like, you know, things where you're like, uh I, I always said it it was easier for me to sell an okay album with a great story than a great album with an okay story to press. Yeah. yeah. And and that would bum you out sometimes, where you'd be working this like phenomenal record, and you would just be like, Yeah, but there's not really like a good story here. Uh and or maybe the artist isn't good at interviews or doesn't want to do press or this or that and you just kind of see other stuff getting way more attention that and again it's all subjective right what you think is great someone else doesn't necessarily think is great but when you really believe in something it 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 can be frustrating to to hit those brick walls of you know journalists not responding or or giving at the time of day uh because it's not you know and you have to find ways and you have
0: to find ways of like selling an artist's story in a way that maybe not may you know yeah you gotta get creative
1: you've gotta you've gotta figure out what that story is and you've got to figure out you know if if you're not getting in the front door you got to go and knock on the side door and the back door and and figure out other angles to approach with it um you know and then and then occasionally you get stuck having to 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 work an album that you don't really love and then that's that's like a weird vibe too of like going into work like all right time to pretend I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the good thing about where I worked is, is that I, that was, that was rare. I, uh, it was a great company uh, with great publicists and, you know, we could be choosy about, about what came in for the most part. And, uh, and I got to work with some really cool artists and I, and I learned so much, you know, what I, I was doing during the day, I would come home then at night and be like, okay, this is like, you know, I always use St. Vincent as an example of somebody who like taught me the value of like the visuals that go with your music, right? Mm -hmm. That from the start of an album, she had such a a clear concept uh, on that album cycle of like what the photos are going to look like, what the artwork is going to look like, what the stage setup is going to look like. And it all ties in together. And, you know, that stuff is important. I, I think there's a lot of people that, want to kind of dismiss some of that stuff as being uh you know distractions or unimportant or whatever and all that matters is the music and it's like right uh to to an extent sure uh you're also selling a product if you want people to hear that music you know you need to think about how you're presenting it uh and if the new york times is doing a roundup of you know new albums out today they can have one photo go with it. And I guarantee you it's not going to be the photo of the best album. It's going to be the most compelling photo that's going to attract clicks and, you know, readers and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, I-, I-, I I learned not to neglect the things outside of the music because I think that is, uh, you know, while it's important not to get so carried away in that that you uh, shortchange what you're doing with the music and get too carried away in, in image and sales and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, you need both. And the artists that you've worked with in that capacity, how, what
0: percentage would you say would be like like a St. Vincent that had the idea of that full package of of their aesthetic and the way it looked and, and the way it sounded all kind of in their head before they released something as opposed to an artist that just went in and say hey i got this thing it's good and but i don't really know how to how to package this
1: yeah you know i think it in a lot of cases it depended on where they were in their career we would get a lot of you know new artists who would come to us and all they had was the record and you know part of what we did as as publicists i think part of the value that a publicist can bring to the table is to help you uh you know figure out the rest of that to help you to to come to you and say you know who I think would be an amazing photographer for this is so and so, who we've worked with on a bunch of other projects, and connect mm-hmm. you with you know the right visual artist to do that, or you know an album packaging designer, that kind of stuff. You know, so you know I, I do think part of the the value of a, of a publicist is in uh, if you don't necessarily have that total package vision of of coming to work with someone who uh, you know who can help you kind of uh put that all together. Now granted, you know, if you're signed to a record label or something like that, you know, that's probably something that the label is going to get involved in with you before you get to that stage. But, you know, we work with we work with artists who were self-releasing uh not infrequently. Uh yeah. and I I think I like I said I left that job in 2014. So Now it's been almost 10 years. I think the the percentage of people self-releasing now is probably infinitely higher than it was oh, even yeah. then. So you know, I I think there's a lot of people not going the label route. And, uh, and it is important to have, you know, somebody. that said, I'm blown away by young people, you know, putting out stuff on TikTok or whatever now who have that vision, you know, who have that total aesthetic package. In some cases now, before they have the songs, they yeah. might have a 30 second snippet of a song for TikTok but they have the visual they have the package and everything down pat and and their 30 second snippet goes viral and they're like hey should i write the rest of this song yeah. and to me that is an insane backwards way to go but it's working for them and it's like you know that's that's the the hugest thing i think for anybody is like just figure out what works for you it's not going to be what works for everybody else and it's not going to be what worked 20 years ago it's not going to be what worked 60 years ago so if this thing that to me seems insane and backwards is generating income and fans for you, like go with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, younger, younger uh artists that, that know me and want to like show me their music and ask me what they should do, you know, and, you know, for their song or for the release or for their show or whatever. I'm like, I don't know, man, like, it's all. It's all. You got, you just got to figure it out. There's really no one way to do it. And like, if something's working for you that never would have worked for me, you know, then right, go for it. Yeah, you know, that that's and vice versa. So it's it's very it's very subjective the way that this. And so world often,
1: world works. in my experience, I feel like as as an artist, the thing that works and clicks and connects with people and and blows up online or whatever. Relatively speaking, mm-hmm. um, is is rarely the thing that I thought it was going to be. So people know? always say they always say you that. make a it's record true. and you say this is the single, this is the song I'm going to push, and then you look back at it two years later, and there's like a deep album cut that has like a million more streams than that on Spotify, and you're like, and like I don't know, man, whatever like, reason, you know. Yeah, so I, I think that would you know when people ask me advice on stuff, I'm my my thing is kind of like just make the stuff and put it out there and, yeah. and let it, you know, let people find it, let people connect with it in their own way, because, you know, they, they ultimately will be the ones to tell you what works and what doesn't.
0: Yeah. And you also have to be careful. Like when people ask, people ask advice or anything, even myself, when I ask people I look up to as advice, like I got, I got to be careful because whatever they say might make me want to like, not do like not create it or mm-hmm. it could, it could be, you know, detrimental to your to your artistic ability or or to your product productivity really because it could just yeah. like bring it down they might not say the thing you know you could be fishing for for what right what, what don't they want don't you
1: go think. don't go asking someone's thoughts on something if you are not prepared to be crushed thought, <laughs> to be like this isn't working you know right, and, right. but i think that's like important feedback to be able to get and take, and maybe that person's wrong, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's important to be able to hear someone say like, yeah, I don't think this is working and not have the knee jerk reaction of like, well, that's because you're an idiot. You yeah, know, like "Yeah, you need to be able to like, listen to that and be like, yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe this isn't working. And that doesn't necessarily mean abandon it. Uh, right. And that doesn't mean stop. It just means like, Let's come at this from a different angle, maybe.
0: Yeah, like keep keep taking swings, but you know, be prepared to to hear some shit that you might hear. You know.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who have a a tendency to to ask for advice or feedback because they what they really want is like affirmation or encouragement, validation, and that's a different thing. Yeah, and it's you know, I think that's that's a perfectly human and reasonable thing to want and need, Um, but yeah, I would say know what you're asking for mm-hmm. i 100
0: i 100 do that like i'll send i'll send a mix down of a, of a song that i wrote and i have a hard time releasing songs that i write because i know so many great songwriters like i know you i know sure. kellogg i know you know uh there's so there's like so many you know brian and and um and i thought it's you said like, great what's that I thought thought you said
1: great songwriters. No, I just. And you mentioned Brian Dunn. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I just mentioned songwriters.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, But yeah, no, it's hard. It's hard to be in that position and look up to people and be afraid to like actually put something out there um, in fear that it's going to be you know judged in a certain way. I always just say, take the swing. Try to take the swing. Commit to it, and don't even worry. Just, just keep. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Get You'll get better. I think
1: so. Well, I got some advice one time, which was uh, basically like, you know, it's it's whatever you're putting out there. Like, it's not your last album. It's not the last song you're going to write. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's there's going to be another one. So, uh, you know, I I get sometimes caught in this space of like sitting on something for way too long. And I'm like, man, if I just put that out three years ago, I'd already be four albums down or four whatever it is, you know, like, and uh, yeah, sometimes you can, uh, you can paralyze yourself a little bit too much uh, mm-hmm. rather than learning to, to treat things a little less preciously and be like, yeah. here's, here's a song I wrote right now. And this is what I sound like right now. And Next week, I'm going to write something different. And next year, I'm going to sound different. And that's cool. Yeah, it's a great practice. Yeah. Easier uh, said than done.
0: It def- yeah, definitely. Um, So when you were working this job, and sorry to harp on this job that you worked so no. long ago. But what you were you were making trips into the city to play solo gigs like at 19, 20 years old? Or would, did that come a yeah, little bit later? Yeah. So-
1: so I was, I was in college at that point. So I would like intern in the summers, but like, even when I was in school, like in semester in New Jersey, I would take the train into New York and start playing shows. And, you know, I, I credit uh, Jesse Mallon with kind of getting me started with that. He He's one of my all time favorite songwriters in the world and was just such a, an encouraging and supportive guy to a, you know, teenager who was just kind of getting his shit together. And, Jesse gave me my first gig in New York at uh, at a bar he's part owner of called Niagara. And he took me to open forum at a, you know, sold out show in Philadelphia. It was my first time playing in another, you know, city besides New York. And then, you know, when I was out of school, he took me to open forum in England for the first time. It was my first time, you know, going overseas. Wow. Um, so he opened up a lot of doors for me and, and gave me a lot of chances um, before I was, I was ready for them, I'm sure um but uh, you know i learned so much from doing that and got so much better from those opportunities that i you know i i owe him more than i could ever repay on, on that front that's pretty incredible i mean you know just just to be
0: be that age and going into new york city and to have somebody there as like a mentor that's that's helping you out making sure you're not falling on your face and and whatever is Pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I imagine I if mean, you don't have that, you have to be pretty outgoing to put yourself out there and do those things in and,
1: and the you know biggest city yeah. in the world. And, and honestly, like, you know, to to have that foothold of of you know getting some good early gigs from Jesse and then to be able to use that to to reach out to be like, okay, well I've i played here and here and here and can I come play here now? You know, like just just I feel like that's some of the hardest thing for people is to is to get their foot into the door and and start and have some kind of, you know, history. And, and I did the open mic night thing too. And, and, uh, you know, I I look back on those days with, uh, not a lot of fondness. I feel like that, that was, you know, there were, there were some, some grim nights, uh, Mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff, but, you know, that's the only way you get any better. Right. Right.
0: When do you every, feel like every
1: show you I would say every show you play is, is worth, you know, 10 practices, you know? So yeah. Uh, being in front of audiences is, is the only, is the only way to get better at being a performer. Yeah. I mean, you,
0: you have to get, you have to get a real response from real people. You know, you're only yeah. gonna, you know, you can't get that from your family, not all the time. And, and, uh, and you, you're not going to be able to deal with, you know, uh, heckling situation you're not going to be able to deal with like being it can i quiet this room down can i get everybody on my side with just me and my, yeah. my acoustic guitar and what what can i do to accomplish that it's it's incredibly difficult
1: those are those are only you know learn by doing skills and also to just uh you know i think i'm i tend to be a, a pretty shy and reserved kind of person in, in my general social life or whatever but you know on stage you have to be outgoing you have to be you know have have some kind of thing that's going to draw people in and, and want them to to pay attention and, and come come in closer and um so you know i i think again if, if i'm in if i'm at home in my room practicing in front of the mirror or whatever uh I'm still off stage. Me when I'm on stage, that switch gets flipped, and you you know you kind of transform into that performer version of yourself. And you know, I find I maybe it's not the case for everybody. I find it very difficult to flip that switch when I'm not in front of an audience and to, to oh, practice gotcha. what I'm actually going to be like. I I can't I can't trick my body into feeling that adrenaline rush. You know. So I okay. just have to be out there doing it to to get practice in that realm. Are there specific things that you've practiced that like like this is
0: this is the thing that I do when I'm on stage, or is it just solely uh, uh, adrenaline being in front of people thing, or is there like specific things that you're like, all right, this I'm going to say this and this and this, I'm going to act this way, or
1: you know, I try to uh, I, I play solo acoustic a lot and. You know, I think as part of that, you've got to be engaging between the songs. You can't just be up there and, and power through, you know, mm-hmm. ninety minutes of acoustic music by by yourself without talking to people and building that relationship. So, I do try to put a lot of thought into the stories that I'm going to tell between songs and that kind of stuff. But I also, um, I also try to leave a lot of room for uh, reacting in the moment to what's going on and, and what the audience is. Not having everything totally pre-planned and kind of trusting that, you know, the adrenaline and the, you know, whatever's happened again, when that switch gets flipped and I'm on stage, trusting that I'm I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, carry that, that audience in, in that moment and pull it uh, off. Some, yeah. And some of that, you, some of that you can practice, you can, you can work on your storytelling and you can work on tightening up your bits and your jokes and all that kind of stuff. Um, But some of it you can't practice, you know, some of it is just like getting comfortable enough being in front of an audience and stuff that you can uh, be outside of your own head and actually be present in that moment and not Mm -hmm. just super uh, focused on like, where do my fingers go? What's the next lyric, you know, if you can stop thinking about that stuff, then you can, you know. Uh, engage with what's actually happening in the room.
0: Yeah, you can react with people, what they're yeah. feeling, what they're saying. You know, who's singing or, or who's like, you know, not paying attention or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. you, can, you can try to re-engage them in, in interesting ways. Um, yeah, that's. I always found that fascinating, pretty interesting of of how you guys how you guys do that up there with with a guitar and and obviously the songs and, and the voice and, and stuff get people to stop and listen. In and and tune in, but, um, yeah, like the between times I always feel is like, is, is the really difficult thing to actually get good at and actually keep people engaged. You know, if you have to tune Mm -hmm. your guitar, if you're having an issue or something like that, it's like, you know, what do you go to? What do you say to, to keep these people engaged, you know?
1: Yeah. And you got to have that. I I think anyway, for the way I approach it, I try to have that mix of you know stories and and you know uh off the cuff kind of stuff so that way it doesn't feel like they're just watching a play where you're just reciting stuff you're doing things that are specific to the city in the room and 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 they feel like you know they're getting a a one-of-a-kind thing but also yeah if you break a string and you gotta change it up there uh people don't want to sit there in in silence uh for Mm -hmm. six minutes while you do that like you should have a a good six minute story in your back pocket that you can slowly, you know, uh, unwind while you're uh, trying to get your string changed and not look like a total jackass.
0: Yeah. Um, what are some of your, like just a uh, fantastic cat aside, what are your like solo, goals and like aspirations and what you're doing now since you're not doing the the PR stuff anymore. I know I know yeah. you do, like freelance things every now and then. You've done some stuff for us and and yeah. uh for, for Barry and all that, but like what um like music releases, uh you know, film, TV, what what's kind of like on your plate? What do you want to accomplish?
1: You know, I I kind of um my my ultimate goal i feel like as a as a performing songwriter is you know i i try to i try to look at other artists who are out there and and you know find people who who model kind of the careers that i i'd like to have and and then you know uh try to try to look backwards along their path and see you know the steps that they took to to get to those levels and what were the markers and the milestones and that kind of stuff um but you know I I look at at somebody uh somebody like Josh Ritter is somebody who's always stood out to me as uh, you know being able to to, you know, first off write right. fantastic songs um and be a great singer songwriter but you know to to have a full-on electric rock and roll band that he plays with and plays large theaters like the Beacon and you know, towards big beautiful rooms like that, but can also go out, solo acoustic in small intimate spaces and do the solo thing and that to me is is kind of the the ultimate career goal is to to be able to do the the big rooms with the band and the small rooms by yourself and choose what balance of that you want to do and kind of uh you know have that freedom and that flexibility i feel like josh in particular has a um has a unique respect of his of his peers as well, so most people... uh, he's he's earned every bit of it. With yeah, I mean, because while we're talking about this, on top of on top of that, I mean, he's a, he's a great writer. His books are phenomenal. He's a great painter. You know, uh so he's he, incredible. He's guy, I love him. Yeah. I love Josh Ritter. He's he great. He, he's a guy to me that I've always looked up to with a lot of respect because he has pursued the creative avenues that excite him uh without boxing him as himself in anywhere without saying, well, you know, I, I think I have a tendency to be like, Oh, I'd love to try that someday, but like, that's not my lane. I'm a musician or whatever. But, you know, to, to have the, you know, the courage and, and also the the work ethic to, you know, pursue those other creative interests. Um, for me, you know, I think outside of music the the things that really excite me is, is uh, photography is like my, uh thing so I tour everywhere with the camera and you know this new album that I put out besides doing it as a cd and vinyl I also put it out as a book of photography with like a download of the record so people who don't have cd players and stuff can still get it and and that's you know that to me is more of the kind of stuff I want to do like that was really exciting to find a way to like synthesize these two things that I'm super interested in yeah and I think that's probably overall where the music industry is is headed now that all of recorded music is available for free and all the time everywhere know, cars and computers don't have cd players and all this stuff like i think you know i know i know this has been said for a while but we're on a we're on a slow steady path toward music not being a physical thing anymore you know music just existing in the cloud and all that kind of stuff and you know i i I think there's going to be more and more opportunities and ways for people to combine that then with visual interests or, you know, fiction interests or whatever it is. You know, I think most people who are songwriters also have other creative outlets. Uh, and and I think it's it's going to be more and more common to see those kind of intertwined. Yeah. You see it a little bit
0: now with like, uh think things like Instagram reels where you combine the popular, whatever the popular song is with a visual or a video or something like that. Like, I think it's interesting when, um, now that, now that the algorithm has kind of changed with that, you see a lot of photographers making, putting their photos into videos, like real videos, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is a photo that I took and bam, it'll hit you with, with the photo. And, um, and photography is, is something that I'm incredibly interested in too. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I, I love it. And I'm always trying to, to, you know, take shots for social media for carbon leaf and stuff like that. And I've um, been doing some side gigs. Uh, you know, I did, a, I did a shoot with a luthier here in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. uh, oh, nice. not too long ago. And and it's just like, I, I think you're right. I think just adding that vis that visual element to like the vibe of the music and how to combine it, and make it so it's like this cohesive thing that people can ingest in in an interesting way, um, is is the future? You know, it's it's happening. It's happening now, but
2: it's like and it's
1: it's not totally new, right? I mean, like it used no. to be that the a record came with uh you know as a you know in a big vinyl sleeve with a booklet with lyrics and and essay and all that. And as as we've Gotten further and further away from that, and and you know CDs got smaller, and then MP3s, and, and suddenly there weren't even booklets or packages anymore. Right. Um. You know, and obviously vinyl is having the resurgence that it's having, and that's great, and I'm and I'm all for it. But that still feels like it's um you know it's more of a specialty uh, audience for that than than the general mainstream public. Yeah. The general mainstream public is is con- consuming their music digitally for the most part. But introducing those visual elements back to it isn't, again, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a new thing. I, I think artwork used to be a very important component of of records. And, you know, then there was an era uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s where the music video was a super important uh, component of the release and MTV and all that stuff played videos. And, you know, now, again, I don't know that, like, <clears throat> that music videos hold the same weight that they did. But I think for I, I advertising I, for maybe for
2: advertising,
0: like having clips, like you, it's all about like the short clips. Hey, how can I sure. sell, how can I sell this song? How can I sell this tour? All right, here's a, here's a, a recorded, a live video. And then it's going to be chopped into this 30 second clip. Like, hey, we're playing. Klee exactly. You know?
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's not so much about, uh, you know, like you said, it's not so much about, here is the big budget uh, music video we made for our single. And that's, what's going to be playing in in constant rotation. It's more like, you know, how do we make visual accompaniments to everything? I I, I saw a stat recently and it was that the majority of music discovery online actually happens on YouTube versus, Mm -hmm. you know, Spotify or, you know, Pandora, whatever. And that's interesting. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. And and so that, you know, you see people when the album comes out, they have the like the visualizers <clears> that go with every track or something. Even they're not actually a music video, maybe just a little looping animation or something like that. But yeah. like yeah, people are discovering music in a format that is uh inherently visual in nature on YouTube. So, you know, I I think <laughs> there's always gonna be uh a, a role for the or video and, and photo and, and that kind of stuff. But I also think, you know, if your thing is painting, if your thing is photography, if your thing is gardening, if your thing is cycling, like whatever it is, you know, I think there's ways to, to stitch it all together.
0: Yeah, probably 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So with you guys, with Fantastic Cat, how did that all happen? And how did you guys get your schedules to work together? And how did you guys get so goddamn good, so goddamn fast?
2: We
1: haven't gotten our schedules to work. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, that happened, you know, uh, Don, Don hit me up, uh, Don DeLego a while back, um, you know, saying he had this idea for, uh, you know, doing a Traveling Willburys kind of thing with a few other songwriters. And it was him and, and Mike Montale from Hollis Brown and asking if I'd want to be involved. And, and I said, sure. Sure you know, he said kind of the, the missing piece of it was he'd also want a, a fourth songwriter who could also play like lead guitar because that's none of our specialties in there. Like Mike and Don can both play drums pretty well and and swap between bass and, you mm-hmm. know, I can jump over to bass when when needed, but we needed somebody who could kind of handle lead guitar duties. And I, and I thought of uh, Brian done for that because um, yeah, I had toured with him when he was playing with Liz Longley and that's how we met. So I called Brian and, and he was on board and the original plan was to just do a week out at Don's studio in the Poconos and just everybody bring in some songs and see where it goes. And, and it went better than we thought. We had fun with it. We wrote some new stuff, too, and uh, ended up making a whole album. And then, you know, in the process of starting to just release that ourselves, uh, it came to the attention of a record label who heard one of the songs on the radio and said, you know, we'd like to put this out, hold up. And so we signed with them uh and then from there we kind of just started uh doing all the things that were maybe too precious with our solo careers to do of like what if we just book a big venue for our record release show that's bigger than any of us and we just say that's where we're playing will people just come and just be like oh yeah of course they put so we we like you know six months out from releasing a record having like only ever played in New York once at a tiny little downstairs club, we booked a record release show at the Bowery ballroom. And then yeah. we just said like, yeah, we're a Bowery ballroom band. This is uh this is where we play. And we had no idea what was going to happen. And we walked out there with the curtains opened up and the show and the place was full. And we were like, okay, there's something to this of like, you know, if you believe, we... Yeah. <clears throat> so that's what we've been trying to kind of do with this band is like, um, you know, project. Ultra confidence. Being. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and it's worked. And and also to just try the kind of silly or, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, weird stuff that maybe you would say like, as, as, as one guy, as Anthony D'Amato, I don't think I can put that on a t-shirt, but as this band, fantastic cat that all has these weird fucking cat heads, mm-hmm. uh, There's a lot more stuff that you're willing to try. And we've been very surprised to find that a lot of the stuff that we've gone out on a limb on has actually been the most successful.
0: Well, just from like the outside looking in, it just put, it, it seems like it takes so much of the pressure off. So like, there's no, there's no real, you know, there's no ramifications (laughs) if, if like something doesn't work out, like you guys all do your own thing, but like, you guys are really having fun with it. And it's really, it's obvious. It's obvious from, Mm -hmm. from the audience and, and as a listener, but you're also like making really great music and putting on an awesome show. Like, I love that you 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 guys are each, you know, wearing, wearing the outfits. You guys are like really like showmen up, up there. Yeah. Awesome. I I think so
1: great. I think there's a lot of stuff, like I said, that you, get too self-conscious maybe to do by yourself mm-hmm. as, a, as a solo artist of like, well, what, what will, you know, who do I think I am? But with a band, you're you're willing to take those risks of falling flat on your face and looking stupid. I think because you're like, yeah, if we bomb, we bomb together and it'll be right. a funny story. You know, And we also, you're just not holding it as tight, right? You know, with your, with your solo career, you have all of your eggs in this basket. It's your name. It's the stuff you've been working on for so long. And, and with a project like this, you're like, yeah, this is a, this is like something we're doing for the sheer love of hanging out and playing these shows. And I think people can tell when you're not holding on as tightly. And I think people can tell when something is just loose in a good time. And they feel that and they tell their friends that like, man, I was at the show at the Bowerbone and it was so much fun. Yeah. And then, you know, when we come back and, and we just played with Malin at, at Webster Hall, last month. And it was just, you know, we walked out and and that room was full. And again, you know, that was Malin's show, but there were so many people that we saw as repeats from Bowery and stuff who came, you know, right when doors opened to be there for our set. That was so exciting to me of like, people are having fun with this and they are, you know, the word is is spreading in a, in a really organic way.
0: It's really cool, man. Do you ever, do you ever um, think about taking, does like that attitude towards fantastic cat and that let that little bit of just you know of uh loose energy do you ever think about applying any of that to your solo stuff yeah so, i yeah. already
1: am i absolutely am i you know i'm trying to you know be a little more adventurous in my solo career and, and be a little you know whether it's with the way i dress or you know the visual components of stuff or uh you know even just the social media presence or whatever of you know seeing what works and what doesn't and and it's interesting you'll see some things that work with fantastic cat that don't work as a as a solo artist or whatever Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of stuff that does so i you know i i feel like it's uh the the goal of this band was always uh you know that it's a fun thing to do on the side but but it's also like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing like Mm -hmm. any success fantastic cat has benefits all of us as solo artists and any success each of us has a solo artist benefits fantastic cat as a band so it's like let's just you know let's all bring what we've learned from our solo careers to this group and let's all take what we're learning from this band to our solo careers
0: yeah and it's cool that you guys shine a light like during the fantastic show fantastic cat show that you shine a light on all your solo songs you do you play each other's music and stuff i think that's a a cool a cool like like okay let's you're kind of like it's like character development. You're seeing who these who each individual person actually is. And it 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 lets people like, you know, have their favorite member, like no, really sure. know know who you guys are rather than be like, this is this band, they're all here. It's like you guys are all right. the thing, you know?
1: And it's also like, look, if there's a Hollis Brown fan at the show who's never heard of Anthony D'Amato, you know. I want them to leave that show being like, "Okay, Fantastic Cat is great." And also, next time Anthony Modelo comes through town, solo acoustic, I got to go to that show too. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like you're not not only yeah, that's it's perfect.
1: <laughs> it just works yeah. out
0: great. Perfect promotion. Sure. Um, do you guys? So, what's the next album going to be like? The very worst of Fantastic Cat, or the? You
1: know, we've talked about a lot of yeah. stuff. We talked about uh, the second best of Fantastic Cat. Um, <laughs> But uh I don't know. Uh we're in the middle of recording it right now. We okay. uh, we have another session tomorrow. So I think we got to get the songs down first before we uh How
0: quickly do we... songs come together for you guys? Is is there a specific kind of way that it works? Does one of you bring something to the, like say, "Hey, here's an idea," and then you all flesh on it out together? On the first album
1: On the first album it was very much like, you know, Brian coming in and like, "Here's here's a song that I think would work for us," and he plays it for mm-hmm. us and we figure out our parts and that's that's the song, okay. uh, and then I would do the same thing, and then Don, and then Mike. This time around, <clears throat> you know, because when we made that first record, we never played a show, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 never recorded or anything like that. This time around, we're trying to make a record as a band, so that it's not an album of an Anthony song followed by a Don song followed by a Brian song followed by a Mike song. We're trying to make an album that is, you know, ten or eleven or whatever it is, fantastic cat songs. So there's there's a lot more of uh, bringing people into the process early, you know, and Brian saying, here's a song I'm working on. Here's what I have so far and us being like, well, what if you, what if that becomes the chorus and what if we uh, double this and cut that there, you know, yeah. or Don sending uh, music around and being like, I have this, you know, chord structure and this chorus hook and, you know, one of us being like, okay, here's some verses, you know, and, and, uh, and then, all, all getting together and playing it and taking it on the road and playing playing it live and being like oh okay you know what it feels way too, it goes by way too fast you know or it's mm-hmm. like that's enough of that we could we could cut this right here and it would still be plenty of song so we're we're trying to really this time make a a fantastic cat record rather than uh, a four different songwriter album
0: and would you say that since you guys are all like, singer-songwriters, you kind of have the same sensibility as, like, how long something should be or how s- something feels weird. Do you all feel like you kind of come to, to a lot of the same conclusions we, or is it de- no, very different? No, we come
1: to a lot of different conclusions. And, okay. and we'll, we'll push and pull and, and, and butt heads on that kind of stuff a lot. But I, I think it ultimately always results in something better. Okay, um, yeah. You know, I, I think the ultimate thing is, again, you know, keeping the ego and out of it being willing and, and able to accept that feedback of like, that's not working. And, you know, trying to create an arena where just the best idea wins. And yeah. It doesn't matter who came up with it, or who brought it in, or who finished it.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I love it. I love Fantastic Cat. I think it's great. I think what you guys are doing is like the way the way that um, people should go about making their stuff like willing to take chances really like work on the parts make listenable like great cool tunes that you know from a bunch of dudes in New York which it has a certain has a certain vibe to it uh, which is which is really really great which I, I like yeah, a I lot, mean, I, So,
1: I think you know in terms of sensibilities like, like you were talking about before we we do all share i think an affinity for you know late 60s early 70s kind of stuff and yeah. and uh so there is <clears throat> certainly a little bit of that retro kind of sound in 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 what we're doing in some ways but because it is filtered through four of us uh it never it never sounds just like you know oh they sound like They listen to a lot of Rolling Stones, or it sounds like they listen to a lot of Velvet Underground, or they're big Beatles. It's like there's little moments, you know, maybe a little riff that Brian does reminds you of a, you know, a band song, uh, song by the band or whatever. Yeah, so you know, maybe maybe there's a little riff here and a little piano bit that Hess plays there, or you know, some kind of vocal melody that Don does. So in the same song, you might get, you know, four different sensibilities all coming together, and maybe they're you know based off the same general uh Ballpark, you know, we're we're not into crazy different music, but we're all yeah. different stuff, and we all come from, from really different backgrounds, you know. Yeah.
0: What um What is next for you guys? Other than uh, do you have a timeline for that album, or is it uh just sometime next year? year. So yeah, like next year. We just
1: gotta gotta get it finished recording first. We're um we're going back to Europe for some festivals. Uh, I'll, I'll come back, and I have a solo tour with uh, Kev Mo, and then we're touring with Jesse Mallon this summer. I'll do the first half of the tour opening solo acoustic and then fantastic cat will open the second half as a full band. Uh, and then we got a bunch of festivals in the U S coming up in August, uh, back to Europe again in the fall. Um, so the year is kind of, you know, filled wow. in for us. We're, we're going to be touring a lot. Um, but at some point, you know, we're gonna, gonna get this record finished and then, uh, start gearing up towards uh putting it out next year
0: is touring europe hectic for you guys I just remember i remember like it being tough like gear like just like logistically i remember it yeah being, uh, being so, a real challenge
1: i've spent the last i don't know when i went on my first european tour was probably like 2012 so oh. 10 or 11 years i've been doing it solo acoustic yeah um, which is what i got used to which is you know, the first few times I went over, I was opening for other people and I would be like riding in their van and I thought I didn't like it. I thought, thought it was like really depressing touring in England or something. Cause all I was seeing was like dressing room, hotel, highway, dressing room, hotel, highway. And it was raining and then constantly. I, <laughs> constantly raining dark early. <laughs> and then when I finally, um, and I was always in the winter time for some reason, but when I finally <laughs> got, uh, to a place where I was like, you know what? Like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my own car. I'm gonna learn to drive on the left side of the road, like whatever it is. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm just doing this myself because I wanna like actually see England besides these and then and that's that's when I started to bring the camera with me and stuff too. And that's when I really fell in love, love with touring over there was because it was like every day was just an adventure. It's like, okay, I've got a, you know, four hour drive to the next venue or whatever. So that means if I get up early i can go see this and that and go check right. out this museum go to this waterfall and check out this crazy nature thing and go on this hike and so <clears throat> that's that's was you know the last decade of solo touring for me this time we went over with fantastic cat in march was the first time i've toured over there with a the band and we were lucky in that um we had a really great tour you know but when i'm by myself I'm, i do it truly by myself and and i'll go over there for you know i've Toured over there for stretches as long as three months as a solo artist, wow, where I'm just dude. on my own in the car. And, and, you know, that's great. But I've never done it with a tour manager and, and all that kind of stuff. And with a fantastic cat, we're like, look, there's four of us. We need backline. We need a van. Uh, mm-hmm. we need somebody who speaks multiple languages to be, you know, because again, it's not like I'm just opening for somebody and I'm just getting handed my, you know, money, or it's not like I'm just communicating with the sound guy, being like, Yep, plug it in, it works. Yeah. So we're like, you know, we, we had a, a tour manager on this run who was great and, and handled, you know, so much of the logistical stuff for us and made it so that we could really just focus on playing the shows. Yeah. Make it like the legit operation. Yeah. So it wasn't, wasn't super, wasn't super hectic or stressful like that.
0: That's cool, man. Well, I wish you guys the best of luck. Seriously. I'm, I'm really, I'm really rooting for you guys. I love, I love the music. I love the band. And like, it's, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan now.
1: Appreciate it. Well, uh, it's been fun getting to see you uh, on the road as much as I have in all the different projects you're in. I feel like uh, yeah, we've, we've met through like three different bands now. I know, out there. Um, I know. But I appreciate you having me on. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to either get
0: to like D.C. or New York or um, trying to see the Red Wanting Blue and uh, oh, alternate nice. alternate routes show somewhere i don't know if you guys are going to be away or or but uh i would love i'd love to hang sometime
1: yeah Um, hit me up i'm i'm mostly sadly i'm mostly i was just talking to my wife about this we're like looking at the calendar i'm like okay i'm here for six days in may and four days in june and so you know trying to figure out uh when the actual life stuff happens this year yeah, so your uh, some your summer uh, is
0: just like toast basically.
1: Summer's crazy. Uh but you know, after a couple of years of of no shows at all with COVID and all that, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna complain about being, you know, too booked up. I know. It's funny like we we uh we did a we did a lot
0: of shit. Like we did tons of shows, the, even even during COVID. Obviously, 2020 was pretty light, but 2021 we were doing a lot of like live streams and doing private Mm -hmm. things and whatever, whatever people wanted to do. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I sometimes I wish I was a part of one of those, I, you know, I, I don't, but I wish I was part of like a band that just like, all right, we're just going to take the time off. (laughs) Like I never had the time off, but 2020 we had, we had our son. So it was kind of a blessing. Like it was just tons of time off canceled the fall tour. I got to spend all Mm -hmm. this time, time with, with, with uh,
1: Ethan. So yeah. Yeah. I think people figured out, I think people figured out how to reevaluate some, some Mm -hmm. priorities during that time. And, and I, I'm better at saying no to stuff now Mm -hmm. than I was pre pandemic.
0: 100%. Yeah. Me too. Uh,
1: You know, the, the thing where you're like, Oh, you just got asked if you could come drive eight hours to, you know, play at this, thing for $100. And, and you know, it's going to cost you more in gas and hotels to go do it. And you're just like, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's going to be worth, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think maybe that's what it's maybe a recognition of by having that time with family and at home and all that stuff. Uh, just the opportunity to actually experience that kind of a life and, and put a different value on time at home. Uh, and sleeping in your own bed and all that kind of stuff. That said, I love to travel. I love to be on the road. It doesn't burn me out generally. Um, but uh, so so I, I do enjoy saying yes to stuff like that. And I do enjoy having a full calendar and all that. Um, but but I, I think I have a better perspective on what matters now and, you know, saying no to things that leave the door open for something better to fill in that space too, if not just knee jerk reaction like offer, take it, let's do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice man. Well, thank you again for doing it. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Check out uh check out Anthony and see because I'm coming to a lot of towns yeah. uh in the next several months and uh coming out and say hey. Are you gonna be in uh Boston um or up in New England kind of this uh, way at all? The Kebmotor comes through uh new hampshire connecticut and maine in may okay no no massachusetts date on that run but uh we'll have to check your schedule
0: and uh see if i can catch up with you sometime all right man i'll talk to you soon bye thanks bye and that is it that's the episode with anthony Uh, please check out all of his stuff check out fantastic cat They are really fantastic. Uh, Also, I will be at uh, T Can and Natick this weekend, this Saturday, checking out the Red Wanting Blue and Alternate Roots Co Bill Show. Double drums, double action, double bands, all that good stuff. So I will be there, hanging out and checking out the show. So if you see me, say hello. Say hello, Um, and that's all. Enjoy the music, and I love you. And talk to you soon.